Hello, and welcome to Court Games. This podcast is for the L5R community. It's funded by the L5R Discord Patreon. This podcast focuses on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend and the Five Rings. Uh, I am Jeannie Calvar, also known as Kikita Kaori. Uh, my co-host, uh, Kovar, is feeling sick today. So I have uh, a guest co-host, Evan. Hello, everyone. My name is Evan, and I will be standing in for Kovar because I do not have a terrible headache today. <laughs> but we really wanted to record today because we have our special guest, Sam Gregor-Stewart, who is the head of L5R for Edge Studios, who are the new creators, holders of the L5R roleplay game license. So welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. <laughs> we really appreciate you showing up. We heard your introduction at Gen Con, and we've been soliciting our gaming community for a bunch of questions to ask you. So thank you for being willing to be interrogated by us. I'm sure it won't be uh, all that unpleasant. No, I'm very happy to very happy to be here and um, have a chance to talk about uh, L5R and the future under Edge. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, I'll start us off and then Evan and I will ask you questions that we've gotten from around the community. Uh, first of all, just to start at the beginning, how did you personally get into the business of role-playing games in the first place? Of course. Um, so I was uh, originally actually a uh, newspaper reporter. My That's my uh, education is in uh, print journalism. So I got into role-playing games something by accident. Um, I... I was already a player of for role-playing games. I think uh, everyone was a was playing D and D three point five uh, when I was going to school. A couple years after I graduated um, and was happily making a minimum wage at a uh, weekly newspaper in um, the Twin Cities, a friend of mine told me that uh, Fantasy Flight Games was trying to hire an editor, and I applied and I got rejected. But then. A couple months later, they needed a second editor, and they decided to hire me. And that was exactly that was within a month of Fantasy Flight Games picking up the um, Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy licenses, which included uh, for role playing games. Dark Heresy had just been released. Um, that it was the first Warhammer role playing game ever, and they had sold out of the initial printing and then closed down their uh, role-playing studio and handed it off to FFG. So there was a lot of excitement. And although I wasn't hired to work on role-playing games initially, I was just a general editor. I knew a lot about Warhammer 40,000 and ended up editing and then writing for the RPG department as it was getting started. A year later, they decided to transfer me over to a role-playing developer full-time. That uh, set course for the next uh, over a decade of my life, basically. So how are you finding working with Edge Studios, and how did that process begin? I had worked for FFG for a decade, um, and the last five years I had headed up the role-playing department at FFG. However, in January, Asmodee, um, the parent company of both FFG and Edge Studios, underwent a 
pretty large restructure, restructuring. And as part of that, they uh, closed down uh, the role-playing games department at Fantasy Flight, and I was laid off. So I spent a good six, seven months uh, doing various uh, freelance work, um, looking for a job. But at the same time, um, I found out about this uh, a few months um, after I got laid off. As when they wanted to continue role-playing games, but they wanted to do it with a new studio, Edge, which is a evolution of Edge Entertainment. Not to get too much into backstory, but Edge Entertainment's been a, a company that's done role-playing games in Europe and some released in the United States for well, shoot, it's been a while now, um, longer than F longer than I was been at FFG. And they needed a um, manager for their role-playing games, somebody to manage the development um, side of things. And so they brought me on back in July. Well, frankly, I've been really enjoying working with them. Um, so far, it's been fantastic. They're a great bunch of people. And I'm really able to explore some new, th new stuff. Also, uh, take a lot of what I've already learned from Fantasy Flight Games put it into action with a, a brand new studio. Like I said, not a brand new studio, but a new evolution of an existing uh, game, um, game studio. So that's been really cool. That's awesome. Now you've got Legend of the Five Rings. What makes you personally excited about working with Legend of the Five Rings, the Legend of the Five Rings property? One of the things that's been awesome is, I mean, I was already working with Legend of the Five Rings um, at Fantasy Flight Games uh, as the uh, head of the RPG department there. So I, uh, what got me excited pretty much from the beginning for being able to do work in that setting specifically is that I, I find it's a setting that's it's really deep into its history and its lore it's really fun to work with settings that have been around for decades, um, like uh, Warhammer was back in the day, or Star Wars, and now Legend of the Five Rings, because there's so much that's uh, built up with them, and so many people have had a chance to explore it. It feels like a setting that's really lived in, and yeah, something you can just explore for days, learning new things. So that's that's personally what really gets me going about it and then knowing that we have a chance to explore that but also add our own elements to the story and continue evolving the setting is also very compelling and then finally it it's actually really exciting to be to have a chance to work and be respectful of a setting that takes a lot from cultures that I'm not personally a part of and only have a broad academic understanding of these cultures. So it's a chance to seek out writers, sensitivity readers, and editors who have maybe that deeper understanding and deeper experiences with the cultures of um, Korea, Japan, China, Vietnam, and work with them and have them help guide our work. I mean, what's cool about that for me is that uh, I basically get to be learning as I'm doing this job, and that's awesome, you know. What mechanical elements would you say stand out as the most exciting for the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing system? The two elements that excite, and excite me the most and stand out the most are, first, the strife mechanic that uh, Max Brook and Katrina Ostrander 
first came up with for L5R. I think it, that mechanic is absolutely brilliant. Uh, what I think is really important about mechanics in role-playing games and what sets certain mechanics apart are when they not only play well on the table, but they really evoke a certain feeling. And I think Strife really does that. It really gets across this idea of trying to maintain restraint in stressful situations, but knowing that eventually that is going to bubble over. <laughs> Frankly, being a uh, somebody who's lived in the mid Midwest for a few decades now, I kind of get that uh, it, feeling of like trying to uh, trying to remain stoic until uh, your emotions uh, just um, explode out of you. I mean, Midwesterners and Minnesotans tend to be pretty closed up people until we uh, until we just can't take it anymore. So I, I have a certain appreciation of that. <laughs> I also really love Opportunity because as the lead developer on Star Wars RPG and also the lead designer on the Genesis role-playing game, uh, this the, mechan the mechanical idea of a this-also-happens mechanic, that's something that I'm, I'm all, I've really bought into and I think is really cool. The fact that we can include that in Legend of the Five Rings alongside a ta task resolution mechanic and also as a mechanic that doesn't get in the way of gameplay, I think is also great. So I think those would be my two favorite uh, elements of the mechanical system that we have here. That's great. Uh, I got to ask this because we ask this of everybody who comes on this show. What's your favorite clan? Mantis. There's there's really no no arguing it for me. I I really like uh, I like pirates. I like ships. So, what lessons have been learned from transitioning to Edge, and what does Edge bring to L five R that we can get excited about? Yeah, that's it's a very good question. It's also a question. The first part of it's also a question that uh, I'm still in the process of answering, to be honest, because switching over to Edge has been really cool also because it's given me personally a fresh way to look at the processes by which we make these games. You know, I've been doing this for over a decade now, but when you do this work for that long, you get a lot of established procedures and processes that you follow for making these books. Basically you keep doing what works, right? So switching to a different studio, is a ch has been a chance for me to look at what works and what may work better and try new ideas and new procedures. So like new project tracking software, new ways that we work with uh, developers and writers, new procedures for which we can integrate sensitivity readers and play testers. It's a, it's a lot of like process um, process changes to be honest. And the thing is, I don't know exactly what some of those lessons are going to be yet, because uh, frankly, it's too soon. We're trying out some of these new ideas, and we will find out what works. And we probably won't know that for six months, uh, maybe even a year, because frankly, books just take a long time to produce. If you ask me that question again a year from now, I will probably have a 
really different answer about uh, what lessons we have learned or a more complete answer. That's probably a better way to say it. One of the big concerns the community has is how to keep, uh, you know, the narrative and the mechanical rules and the lore, the gameplay and all of that coherent between, you know, the pre-edge FFG material and the edge, you know, post-FFG material. So how are you kind of making sure that you're keeping things coherent? So I can reassure your listeners, because um, since I was the RPG manager at FFG, there's already con- continuity there, but also the, a lot of the rest of the team that's working on the books going forward is actually the same team that was working at FFG. So, for example, Alexis uh, Dikema, she was, especially by the end, the L5R developer at FFG. So she was she did Celestial Realms, um, she did Path of Waves winter's embrace but she was also working even when she wasn't the lead developer on some of the other program um some of the other books she was still working on them she is now the lead developer for rid of the wilds so there's that continuity there like i would easily say she's the like she is the best person to have as your lead developer for any of the l5r books going forward and she's still working with us and it's fantastic she's absolutely great narratively katrina ostrander she was the story manager and ip manager back when uh l5r was first first getting off the ground and she's back at ffg as their story manager now and so she's the one who's approving all of our story decisions uh with tyler perot from uh, the l5r card game they're the ones who are signing off on this stuff and we're working very closely with them. I mean, heck, I'm still, I'm in the same city as they are. So, uh, you know, we talk on a daily basis. Max Brook, for example, he's also, I mean, he was the lead designer of the L5R um, mechanics. And when he's not doing, uh, making new tiny, ru- <laughs> new rules for tiny spaceships at Fantasy Flight Games, he's um, agreed to help us freelance new rules for L5R as well. And of course, all of the freelancers who did work for us before, we're still in touch with them. And we look forward to continuing that relationship if they're willing to do so. Basically, all of the like all of the people that were making L five R so awesome when it was with FFG are still going to be working with us as we um, do work at Edge, and so I think that will maintain a a lot of coherency be- between the studios. Frankly, I don't expect there to be much of a difference, or better to say, there there is a it'll be a very seamless transition. You had asked earlier what uh, Edge brings to L5R that we can get excited about. And I think there is where, so where you will see some differences and I would say improvements even, although I have a lot of pride for what FFG's done. I think you're going to see Edge is already a studio that has is really amazing with both graphic design and art. And I say that being super proud of all of the work FFG did in both the graphic design and the art realms. Like, I think FFG really set the bar there, but Edge actually can take that even higher, especially when it comes to laying out and designing books. 
some of the stuff they've released in Europe is really outstanding. And I look forward to them taking that work to L5R, basically creating some like gorgeous pieces of art that also happen to be books you can read and use to play games with. The other thing Edge really wants to do, and I'm super excited to be working to make this happen, is tell some really grand stories with the players taking center stage. And that attitude is going to make for some really epic stuff over the next few years, I feel like, with L5R. That's cool. I love epic. (laughs) That's really awesome to hear. It's clear that there's a lot of intentionality going on and continuing the designs, um, what would you say are the overarching philosophies for balance between different schools, different clans, different classes, the, the balance of the game as a whole? This is, my, this is my personal feeling about it, although I suppose it telegraphs some of the uh, gameplay designs as well. But I think that sometimes people can get a little hung up on which player character can defeat this other player character in a uh, conflict, for example. And I feel this way across all the different role-playing games I work on. But in L5R, like, you know, that could that conflict could be an intrigue, it could be a uh, skirmish, it could be a duel. But I sometimes do think that um, there's this real tendency to compare characters made in different schools, for example, like just set them down in a uh, blank room and say, all right, now fight a duel or, you know, now we'll fight a skirmish or now we'll resolve this intrigue. And I think that um, although that can be interesting and I think that a broad level of balance is both achievable and important, I think if you chase that too too much, you'll find yourself going down a rabbit hole that uh, doesn't really help you in the long run. Basically, I don't see role-playing games as a uh, competitive game overall. I see role-playing, yeah, I see them as a cooperative game. So, well, I think that broad balance is important. So, for example, you wouldn't want uh, one clan choice to offer you five ring advances and another um, clan um, offer you only uh, like one ring advance, for example. Obviously, there are, there are extremes which you want to avoid. But more important, beyond that broad balance, I think it's more important that every character has a chance to take control of the story at points during the game by doing something unique to that character that is also really cool. There, I think the school abilities are the most important. Ideally, every ability is one you want to overlap as little as possible and also be able to do something that the player who chooses it is going to say, man, that was awesome. That was that was just so exciting. So the, the Shinjo Outrider, right? The, uh, their ability to have their horse show up in any situation as that level six, rank six mastery ability, for example. Um, that's, that can be really story defining. And there will be players who are not at all interested in it because they're like, well, have my horse show up. That's that's just dumb. But then there'll be players who really get into that and say, like, yes, if I'm trapped in a cave and I whistle and suddenly I hear, you know, this this neighing and there's my horse and he, 
he's standing below this uh, rock fall and I can jump down onto the horse and ride off into the sunset. That's like, you know, that's going to be really engaging for that certain player. Players that want to play a competitive game can go play with tiny dudes. Like there's many games out there that you can competitively play against and players that miss the opportunity to have your horse Kool-Aid man through a Shoji screen are missing out some of the beauties of role-playing games. That's it, exactly. Um, all of my best role-playing experiences have been when I've gotten to uh, when I've gotten to do something really fun in the game that all the other players are like, that was awesome. And uh, on the other side of things, all of my worst experiences in role-playing games, well, okay, most of my worst experiences in role-playing games have been when my character and by extension, me as a player just feels completely sidelined or outclassed because another character is just better at doing everything than I am. So that's what I really want to avoid, too, is a player, or not a player, but a character who is just good at everything and thus denies every other character a chance to do something cool. One of the game design uh you know people fall on one side or the other like kind of like balance is uh your philosophy on what i call crossing the beams uh resolving mechanical difficulties or areas of unbalance with narrative responses this is like in old 5r uh you had a shinkin right and a shinkin could be way more powerful than every kind of mate every other kind of mage and uh, mage, shigenja, every other kind of shigenja, and it would be balanced narratively by saying, "Oh, there's only five shigen in the world." Yes, but there's two in every role playing party, <laughs> so you know it doesn't quite work that way. Um, you know, it balances up to so much up to the GM to enforce, and not every GM forces, uh narrative responses at all so how do you how do you feel about crossing the beams like resolving mechanical things with narrative responses yeah that's a really that's a really good question um and i think it really gets into the eternal it's kind of that eternal conundrum for a player group is i think i think part of my philosophy on it and this is this has evolved over the years a lot um Early, early on in my uh, in my career, I felt like it really was up to the GM to fix that problem and to correct, like to basically to basically shut down some of that stuff. Tell players, oh, you can't do that, or create huge challenges for those players. Then, like these incredibly difficult situations because you were playing an OP character, but as i've as i've i guess gotten older and softer or whatever <laughs> i've figured that i don't want that antagonistic experience and relationship as much so my philosophy's changed more towards what i want is buy in from the players in a game and i want the group to be working as a group and i guess what that means is if i'm going into a game as the gm saying well shoot, this thing's become unbalanced or this character is breaking my game and I have to defeat that character. I have to put that character into their place and I have to 
stop it, then I'm already failing. And the same thing comes in reverse if I'm the player making the character that I'm thinking like, oh, this is totally just going to defeat everything the GM throws at us. This is going to be awesome. It's the most powerful character I've ever made. Again, I'm already, I've already failed. And it's failed the whole group because as a group, I feel like everyone needs to be on the same side in that the GM needs to be saying, I'm not trying to win here. Or more aptly, me winning is my group having a great time and an engaging story. And as a player, it's I'm winning if I'm helping that GM tell the story and also I am succeeding in in having some like really evocative moments for my character. And then also I'm succeeding if I step aside sometimes and every other player gets that same chance. I mean, basically, I suppose, if you wanted to sort of boil it down to the TLDR version, it's uh, if everyone's having fun, then you're winning. One example um, that I kind of always come back to is actually all the way back from Star Wars. My buddy, uh, Andy Fisher, he was uh, head of one of the board and card studios at FFG now, but uh, he had he built a uh, an, a super social character for um, Star Wars that was designed to use all these new social talents that we had come up with and maxed out on on like charm and deception and coercion and was just like I will solve any situation with my social superpowers, but. The thing was that um, first, it was a playtest, and I appreciated him pushing things to the limits. But second, he also talked to me about it, and he and I talked to him about it. And his character had these weaknesses. I mean, for one thing, a stiff breeze would knock the character over. For another thing, he had these role-playing hooks that he had worked into the character that um, were weaknesses for the character. So for one, he would go into some situations and just be like, well, this, I am outmatched in this situation. Um, you know, anytime, uh, anytime talking failed and guns started getting drawn, he, uh, you know, he would be running and screaming and hiding in a corner. Like he'd still be participating, but he'd be actively making a point of, I am not suited for this. And also, as a GM, he, I was creating situations where he could use his abilities, he could make a big difference in encounters. Some encounters he could um, take center stage on, and some encounters he could just maybe use his, for example, his ability to like cause people to change sides in the middle of a fight. That would work on some of the characters in the encounter, but it wasn't going to work on all of them. However, because it worked on some of them, he, everyone could look at him and be like, yeah, that, that certainly changed this encounter from a one that would be very hard for us to win from to one where we could focus on defeating the big boss and you've taken care of the big boss's trusted lieutenant and now the trusted lieutenant's actually helping us out. That wouldn't have been possible if, um, if Fisher and I both weren't on the same page and honestly working towards the same thing, which was telling a cool story. And so I think that it's a long rambling answer, but uh, I think that's basically my philosophy. (laughs) 
I love hearing that. You mentioned, you know, he designed this character as a part of playtesting, um, exploring new mechanics. What is the general approach for playtesting new things for the L5R RPG? Yeah, um, so we're we're figuring that out right now, in fact. So Ridden the Wild is in early development at this point. Um, so we're not even at a point where we're playtesting it yet. And I'm just starting playtesting the other project that uh, Edge is um, working on right now, which is the uh, Midnight expansion for D&D 5th edition. Um, Re-releasing the Midnight book for that. So the way I see our approach going forward is definitely it's got to be multiple groups and groups with a certain amount of independence and autonomy because uh, groupthink in playtesting, I think, is a real problem. If you have a bunch of groups who are all talking amongst each other and a bunch of playtest leads who are um, in constant communication, if somebody brings up a problem that they see, and it may be a problem, it may not be a problem, it's going to cause everyone else to want to focus on that and also zero in on it. You sometimes run the risk of everybody coming to the same agreement, and you also sometimes just run the risk of other things not getting tested because everyone's like, oh, the new uh, Shugenja you've created um, totally breaks the game. Thanks a lot. You know, it just starts going downhill. And maybe that Shugenja does break the game. Maybe, maybe we should not have created a void technique that causes the continent to vanish for three days. You know, like maybe that was a bad decision, but... If we're focusing on that, we may miss something else that's really important too. So I think it's really important to have multiple groups to encourage them to go out and test things with their group on their own. And then when they come back, what it allows us to do is take their feedback and compare it, aggregate across the whole thing. It's one of the reasons why the playtest for L5R, the open beta we did, was so valuable, especially because our primary form of feedback was through Google survey forms. What that really let us do was you would have these opinions on forums, and those are also useful, and we were obviously reading what people were saying on the forums, but then we could also see what the... Um, uh, I think we our responses usually peaked into the several thousand, especially early on. We could ask specific questions like, do you feel X is overpowered? Or do you feel which class, if you had to pick between these 10 schools, which school would you want to play the most? And we could actually, and because you could ask these very specific questions and the survey results were secret to everyone taking them, we could look at the survey results and be like, oh, you know, when you actually ask somebody in a vacuum to choose between these two options or um, pick which class they're the most excited about playing or whatever, we actually get these very different responses from what the people are saying on the forums. And that's basically just super valuable because sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's telling us that there are, that Maybe the concerns some people are bringing up aren't as big a deal for the larger group, but sometimes also it's telling us, oh, these things that people are bringing up on the forums, totally borne out by these 2,000 people or 3,000 people who are participating in our uh, beta. And this is a problem we need to fix. So range of playtesting, blind feedback, and then a focus on mechanics for playtesting because 
playtesters often have a lot of good suggestions about um, narrative elements. However, there's also a lot of different stuff that goes into creating those narrative elements. For example, we work with a story group at FFG who's approving stuff. So often there are reasons we'd make the choices we have that we may not actually be able to explain. And so it's better for us to focus on the mechanical elements when we're doing playtesting. So uh, if something comes along out of playtest or after it's released to production where there is some errata that needs to be shared, how, how is that going to be shared now? What we will very likely do is create our errata. I don't like to release erratas too soon after a book comes out because I do think that, especially because a new book may not actually see a lot of play, especially when it's a supplement, until a few months in as people start to integrate it into their campaigns or they see the book and they're like, ooh, I want to run a new game based on this. You know, it takes a little while for people to really get into it. And then release that on Edge's website. The website that uh, for Edge Studios right now is just a placeholder site. So we're looking to have a, a more robust website where we can actually do things like host um, gameplay materials and for, that are available for download and put up articles that discuss that sort of thing. That will be where you can find that material going forward. If it also makes sense to host it on uh, drive-through, for example, just as long as it makes it more accessible. If it's easier for people to get it off drive-through than it is to get it off our website, then we could totally do it. If there's not really a difference, then we probably wouldn't. Going along with that question, will you be doing the errata if there's anything that needs to be done for uh, Celestial Realms or the book that follows it since you, know, you have it now, but those were developed by FFG? Sure, for like Fields of Victory, for you mean? Yes, we will take over. Um, we'll take over managing the errata, and we will also be handling reprints of, um, say, the core book, for example, um, or Path of Waves, or in any of the books that have come before will become our responsibility. This isn't us stopping the FFG line and starting the edge line. It's basically us inheriting the FFG line for L5R and continuing it. So that's going to be our responsibility, and we'll uh, make it a point to do right by it. With Edge picking up uh, kind of inheriting, like you said, what FFG was doing, we had a really cool uh, tease that FFG did a couple weeks ago to tease Celestial Realms where they had... Um, the, the the names of the schools sent out for the Discord to try to look over. Are there any plans for communicating with the community in the future regarding uh, RPG releases? We do have plans. There, some of them are early on at this point. So, full disclosure, I'm uh, much more of a uh, design person than I am a marketing person. And hope, hopefully in the future we will have uh, somebody who can handle that uh, marketing elements more full-time. Um, is better at it than I am. But uh, personally, I think that doing news articles, obviously a good way to do it. Um, but and having somebody who can spend more for like full time engagement with various communities is super important. So like the L5R Discord is obviously a big way to engage with a big chunk of the L5R community. So being able to have somebody who can hop on and throw out teaser articles, um, that kind of thing is really cool. I also think that uh, being able to come on podcasts like yours and 
answer the community's questions is a really good way to engage with the community because you all have such a huge audience that it's way better than me just showing up on Reddit or um, Discord or whatever and being like, hey, ask me some questions. <laughs> yeah, I feel like continuing to engage with podcasts, we want to get a website with um, articles and um, interviews and so forth on, going on there. And then trying to feel find ways to interact with various communities directly in your home space, as it were, I think would be really cool. That sounds great. Let's uh, take a moment and switch gears a little bit. This we know is fishing, but we got to ask on behalf of our listeners. Of course. Uh, your next book is writ of, is the writ of the wilds with the dragon clan and the dragon dragonfly. Is there anything we should be particularly looking forward to from the mysterious dragon that's new? <laughs> no, I don't blame you for asking at all. It's like I said, it's still very early in development right now. There's not a lot I can talk about, and we are going to want to keep some of our mysterious secrets for teasers when we're getting up to launch the book. And we also want to want to be respectful that FFG still has, uh, you know, L5R books they want to get out and keep people excited for them. Uh, I mean, they've still got to bring Fields of Victory out too, and uh, that's going to be awesome on a whole different level. But... I think one thing that I'm excited about with uh, Rid of the Wild, I think it's a little overlooked because, yeah, everyone's excited about dragons and the Dragonfly clan and absolutely should be. But the source books have also been sort of setting books as well. And so I'm excited about the wild part of Rid of the Wild. For example, I mean, there's the super spooky, super interesting Shinnaman Forest. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, I think we're going to be getting into that a little bit, or maybe a little more than a little bit, in uh, Rid of the Wild, and that's going to be really awesome. Some of the stuff in Shinman Forest. There, we're also talking about doing some really interesting and, uh, shall I say, unique player options. And I'm being totally a tease here. I know, I know it's terrible, but I can't say any more than you that. Are. But... <laughs> Maybe you all can extrapolate uh, what what we might do with that too. So beyond that, uh, stay yeah, stay tuned and wait and see what we uh, what we come out with. <laughs> Just going along with it is there like the chance of survival exploration kind of mechanics? I think that would be uh, something that'd be really cool to do, and uh, would make a lot of sense for a book that involves uh, wilderness and maybe advice on how to like do games that are more set in wilderness spaces. Also, it won't be just the wilderness. If it's the Dragon Clan, I want to be talking about like monasteries, for example. Obviously, there's going to be some new um, player options for the Dragon and the Dragonfly. I would actually encourage in a couple of months for you to have uh, um, ask uh, Alexis onto your podcast because uh, I'm guessing a few months from now, she's going to have a lot of stuff she wants to talk, to, talk about that. Is there any plans made yet at all, and you don't have to say what they are, that happen after the Unicorn or the last of these clan source books? Yes, to your question. Um, you're right. I can't uh, say, go into any detail about it. But the answer in short is yes. We've been talking, um, um, myself, Stefan, Gilles, and uh, Kuro, sort of the other three big names at uh, um, like managers and uh, studio control, 
studio and people at Edge. Been talking with um, Kat and Max and Tyler over in um, FFG, and we've come up with a long-term plan for what we're going to do after the clan books are done, and we're super excited about it. It goes into that epic thing I was saying before, and I can't say anything else. I, I'd love to. It's, I think it's going to be really cool. It's, it's not going to, it's going to continue what we're already doing with L5R, and it's going to be super sweet, and I can't say anything else about it because it's a long way off. Having plans is always uh, encouraging to hear, especially with how great the releases have been so far. Well, um, is there anybody you would like to call out or anything you would like to mention before we wrap this up today? We really appreciate you having come on and talking to us today. Uh, like I said, it was my pleasure. Um, I think when it comes to L5R, there are a lot of people who have been really involved in developing this Um just in the time that I've known the setting and who are going to continue being involved. And those are the, like, I I really encourage you, for example, to uh, um, Alexis Daikima, um interviewing her, I think is, uh, like, she's got a lot of really cool, um, she's a huge fan of L5R and she's got a lot of cool stuff about it. Max, um, I mean, I think you've probably spoken to him in the past already, I think. Yeah, he's a great person to talk to, too. Kat, um, as well. Tyler um, Perot um, from the card game. Again, pro- I'm guessing you've talked to most of these people, but... We're trying to get something aligned up with Alexis. And then, like, shoot, uh, Francesca, the uh, um, the artist who d- does all of the maps. Holy moly, those, are, uh, those have been mind-bogglingly amazing. Um, and then Tim Huckleberry and Tim Cox... Shoot, I could. Sorry, I could go on forever. Um, Robert Denton, <laughs> Dave Latterud. <laughs> just start. Just start throwing names out until uh, I basically read off the credits from uh, every book that we've ever done. I'll stop there. Thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, just as a shout out to our uh, our listeners, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, the Court Games RPG podcast is is sponsored by uh, the L5R Discord. We also have an LCG-focused podcast that is primarily looking at the card game as opposed to the role-playing game. We have two actual role-play podcasts, which we're going to say you have to go listen to us now because Evan's in one and I'm in the other, uh, called Fortune and Strife and Crimson Gold Agonies. Um, and they are a lot of lot of fun. I know you probably don't have time, but I thought I'd give the plug in anyway. Oh, that's that's cool. Uh, Crimson Gold Agonies comes out on Fridays, and Fortune and Strife comes out on Mondays. I always like listening to a good Let's Play podcast, so or Live Play podcast. Oh yeah, you're in for a treat. Fortune and Strife have done some fantastic, like approaching the game, uh, explaining mechanics and going in, and Crimson Gold Agonies has like a deep, more audio drama um feel to it oh excellent those both sound cool our patreon supports our editing costs for these episodes as well as the our website for court games where you can see and have different longer term information things that materials materials that players have made summaries of the podcast role-playing game tools and more and if you are a patreon you have 
special bonus content like adventure seeds, watch parties, early content previews for our actual plays, and that sort of thing. So thank you to our Patreons. Yeah, and if you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us at our website at courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, or on our Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. Thank you very much, Sam. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. This was an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Great. Uh, this is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And this is Daidoji Evan. Don't waste any opportunity. because we ask this of everybody who comes on this show. What's your favorite uh, clan? Mantis. There's there's really no um, no arguing it for me. Uh, I I really like uh, I like pirates. <laughs> I like ships. Mantis. Yeah. I mean Sorry, that is some pretty solid reasoning right there. I can't <laughs> argue with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you got to appreciate a uh, um, the the whole like story of um, we really just want to uh, we really just want to be in the same realm as the rest of you, and we're really willing to go to pretty much any lengths to uh, make this happen. Like the Mantis story being, you know, like. I mean, they'll be they'll be as devious as the uh, scorpion if it uh, gets them to great clan status. I kind of appreciate that. It's super piratical. I can think of a lot of uh, Mantis players that will be super happy to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, they're it's just awesome.